Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources in veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and my colleague, Mike Pownell, as we discuss how to support and take care of the people who are instrumental in making your business a success. Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. These businesses want highly engaged employees and they do whatever it takes to make this happen because they know that highly engaged employees lead to more growth, client loyalty, and profitability. Veterinary medicine is a challenging profession, but it can be made so much easier if we build business cultures that attract and retain the best people. Subscribe to Hire the Smile for great discussions on taking care of the people that make us all better. Hi, it's Mike Powell, and welcome to another episode of Hire the Smile, of course, with my everyday sidekick, Katie. How are you, Katie? I'm doing well, Mike. Thanks. I'm not sure who's who's sidekick, but I think lately I'm I'm in your shadows because you're doing some impressive work with a lot of practices. So buttering me up. Uh, well, it's it's true. We have a very special guest, Dr. Stacy Cordovano. Did I pronounce it right, Stacy? Cordovano. Cordovano. Okay, great. Yeah. And I connected with Stacy. She invited me to be a guest on her podcast, The Whole Veterinarian, and. I had such a blast, and by looking at what Stacy was doing, I'm like, this is really a great initiative for the vet profession. So I wanted to give exposure on our platform because it's really cool, and even though we're focused on HR, you'll see as we start our conversation that what Stacy is doing is right in our wheelhouse too. So a meeting of the minds, I guess. So Stacy, tell us about yourself. How did you end up becoming a veterinarian? Just everything, a dump. Let's go. Sure. Hi. Thanks for having me. Also, this is fun. I love to connect again. And it's nice to meet you, Katie. So I am like a typical horse girl. I wanted to be an equine vet since I was three. My cousin was an equine vet. I just followed him around every chance I could get. I grew up in Nevada. That goal never really sidetracked. (laughs) You know, I worked small animal experience all through high school and college, but that was just never going to cut it. I couldn't stay inside all day long. And the horses were always my passion. I went to Penn State for undergrad and then went to Virginia, Maryland College of Vet Med. I graduated in 2008. I did an internship in Northern New Jersey, kind of a general internship, but there was a heavy sports med focus at that practice. And then it was 2009 and the market was awful. (laughs) Oh, great timing. Yeah, the market was awful. So uh, my boss offered me to do a secondary internship with them down in Florida. So I did sort of a sports medicine focused internship. And I was married at that point. I had gotten married in between those two internships. And my husband's a mushroom farmer in Chester County, Pennsylvania. There was no moving. There's lots of horses here, but no one was hiring. So I started my own practice from pretty much scratch and built it up as a solo practice for the first 10 years. And this is year 12. And I've had an associate now for just exactly one year, which has been a big learning curve, but also really awesome. And Yeah, now I'm kind of exploring other things as far as the podcast and other personal growth areas. 
Oh, and I do have two kids. That's a big part of my life. <laughs> I have two little kids. That's a big part. Yes. Yeah, they take up a lot of time and certainly have made me make a lot of changes in my own life and career. Yeah, so that's that's me in a nutshell. Just before we get to the next question, I just was thinking to myself, and you mentioned, you know, leaving your internship in 2009. What a change it is now. You know, 13 years ago, there was probably 10 vets for every job that was out there. And now it's the opposite. It's just it's flipped upside down. Literally remarkable. I remember looking at the AAP job board and there were three yep. openings. And I believe one of them was in Australia. Yeah. And now there's 400 plus. It's nuts. I remember presenting at a student conference uh, in 2010, and there was like 100 fourth-year students. And I was like, I'm the one that's going to tell them there are no jobs out there. I felt like the biggest grinch of the world. Yeah, it's really such a shift, and it's so interesting. But I actually think it's pretty good for our profession. Yeah, we're, it's moving into different ways for sure. Anyway, mm -hmm. over to you, Katie. Yeah, Stacey. So tell us what it was that spurred you on to uh, start the whole veterinarian podcast. <laughs> it was really a personal life crisis, <laughs> to be completely honest. In 2018, there were a series of a bunch of events that really left me feeling like I was barely keeping my head above water on a day-to-day -day basis. And my days were certainly running me. I was not running my life. I had a two and a half year old and a four month old. I had my appendix out on Thanksgiving Day. I got diagnosed with Lyme disease. A really good friend and colleague lost her baby. There were just a lot of things all in kind of a six month period that made me stop and realize how burnt out I was and how I was really diving into compassion fatigue. I just felt like, you know, classically, I wasn't making a difference. What am I really doing here? You know, I, I work on these show horses that, you know, it doesn't feel like I'm doing anything. It was very classic compassion fatigue. And that was because of a, a lot of other personal things, not really just the work, but I was lucky to work with a couple of different mentors. And one of them had me take a broad look at my life and create kind of a strategic plan for my life. I had only thought that was like a corporate business thing to do, but he taught me that I could apply it to my personal life. And so after doing that and working on some of the personal aspects, one big bucket that was missing for me that had been a big part of my life all the way up until vet school was volunteering and community service. And, you know, we get so focused on getting into vet school and making it through vet school. And then, of course, I opened a practice pretty quickly after vet school. And then I had kids and it was very inward focused and it needed to be to survive. Mm -hmm. That's the right word. Yeah, for sure. But I was at a point in my life where I really needed to start looking outward to feel more fulfilled. So I started thinking about things that I could do. And I really didn't want to get back into the therapeutic writing. I didn't really want to immerse myself in more horse or animal things. That was my natural go-to, but it didn't feel like it was going to fill the bucket for me. And I had been listening to podcasts, mostly from my husband's recommendation, but I had started getting into podcasts and learning about personal development and growth and leadership and 
all the things that we don't learn about in vet school. And they were so helpful to me. And I was learning so much. And it was fun to be learning new things again. And I thought, well, maybe I should have a podcast for vets that I can give specific vet examples, but we can learn about things that aren't veterinary medicine and things that will help us improve our day-to-day lives. And so no one really believed that I could do that. First of all, they didn't think I had time. They didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to make a podcast, but I took a course. And then in completing that course, if you finished all the homework, which of course I'm a good vet student. So I finished all the homework and you end up up with a podcast at the end. So I said, here we go. And it's been so fun. I starting out as, as a small kid thought, oh, I want to be a vet because I love animals so much and I don't like people, but it's very interesting how much I love people, you know, in the midst of that crisis, I didn't close up shop and it wasn't because of the horses. It was because of the clients I would have left behind. And in this podcast journey, it's just another example of how great it is to connect with new people, continue learning, continue pushing myself. And so here we are today. It's been great. It's been fun. And, you know, I hear enough feedback back that it's helping people that it does really, really fulfill me. Almost sort of like the same kind of joy we get in taking care of animals we we get in helping others. And I know just in the you know the podcast that Katie and I have when we get that kind of feedback, it is so fulfilling. And it's almost the same kind of feeling I get as a vet as I used to see an animal get better. Yeah. And it's why I still love emergencies, right? You know, people are like, You're nuts, you love emergencies. And I was like, No, I do because you know, whether you're the hero or you end up euthanizing a horse, you've still made a huge difference and relieved suffering for the owner and for the patient. And so that's, yeah, that type of stuff is what lights me up. And so I kind of feel the same way about the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of a gift. So one of the things I know when I was a guest on your podcast, one of the questions is, is what brings me joy? And it was such an unusual question. It was a question that when you ask it, and as I'm describing it now, I get a smile on my face because it's such a great question. And it made me stop back and think, well, oh, what is bringing me joy today? And so the question is, is why have you focused on joy? When you look at your website, you talk about joy. I guess it's better than the opposite, but what led you to that? Because it's such an evocative word, such a simple word, but in the context and how you asked it, it really is a almost a transformative word. Well, great. And thanks. I'm glad you like the question. That is what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to kind of catch people off guard and make them think. And I think that what I've discovered in this journey over the last several years is that seeking happiness is maybe too fleeting or too aspirational. And if we want to feel happier, or if we want to feel more fulfilled, we really need to start looking for small moments of things that bring us happiness or bring us joy. And for me personally, I started doing a gratitude practice. And in that gratitude practice, I started noticing more small moments of joy. And as you do it more, you find more. And I think it's just a really small way for us who are super busy, super overwhelmed, to not really add another to-do to our list, but just to try to notice a few things. And I 100% feel that it will improve your overall outlook. So 
I got in the habit of trying to find a great sunset or find something great about an evening emergency call. And now I take a picture every time. And if I'm scrolling through my phone, I'll be like, oh, that was that call at seven o'clock at night. But look at that great sunset that I caught that I wouldn't have caught because I would have been home making dinner. So I guess I focus on joy just because it feels to me, the word feels more authentic and doable than just looking for things that make us happy in the moment. When you said that, it's, it's so true. It's like happiness seems to be a continuous state, but joy are those moments that actually could lead to happiness. So yeah, I like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I find, you know, I do much the same thing, not that I keep a formal journal or anything like that, but I notice things like I'm always looking, looking for the sunset, looking for a bird, looking for something. And it really helps take you out of your own head and helps connect you to everything around you to remind you that everybody's connected. And it's such a profound thing Yeah, to step outside of just what's in front of you and, and use your peripheral vision. Mm -hmm, For sure. And for me getting into it, it was so helpful to know that there's like science-backed research proving that, right? You know, like all of our brains work that way. And it's one thing to say, oh yeah, if you start noticing more positive things, you'll have a more positive outlook, but there's actually research backing Mm -hmm. that up, which is great. The one thing I've noticed is whenever I've posted, like when I find my moments of joy, you know, it's sunrise, sunset, whatever. And I've I've posted it. It's amazing the positive impact it has on others. So I'll post on Instagram, like, this is going to be a great day. Just like, just look at this. Like, isn't this amazing? And those are my most popular in terms of people liking and emojis, whatever. It's like, it really is transformative. And I was thinking of Katie. I mean, I don't want to share too much, but, you know, Katie has this tree that she takes a picture of when she runs. And it's almost like everybody myself and others, we look for it because we're seeing this tree in different times of the year, different times of the day. Those are little brief seconds of joy that, oh, the tree's there. It looks beautiful still. Yeah. It's definitely contagious. I mean, I, I, I think it is for sure. Yeah. Has there been a big takeaway or profound learning uh, item that you've got out of doing the, the podcast? Is there something that connects everything or a couple of things that you found that have really impacted you? You know, I try to think about, is there like a central theme or do I have two to three content pillars? Mm-hmm. And I can't really group them into anything other than personal growth mm-hmm. because there's so many aspects. And what I'm trying to do is hit on enough topics that one thing might resonate for one person. So not everyone's going to resonate with leadership development. Not everyone's going to resonate with managing your employees better because they don't have employees. But that person might resonate with the research behind the gratitude practice, or they might hear about meditation and think, oh, I didn't know there was so much science and I didn't know it could take five minutes. Maybe I should try that. So for me, I think the big takeaway is that I am a continual learner and that is what keeps me motivated. and. In my 10th year of practice, it was feeling very comfortable. And not that I didn't learn new ultrasound skills or things along the way, but it was feeling a little stale. And this has been such a joy. (laughs) I'm just going to use the word like a joy for me to realize that I love learning. And then I would say like the biggest takeaway is the community support and having a community you know, say what you will about social media, but especially on Instagram, everyone's so supportive and 
it's great to connect with people through the whole veterinarian account and form this community and, you know, have relationships that I wouldn't have and have support that I wouldn't otherwise have because of the podcast. I mean, I'm in contact with every single guest that's been on the show and I have a huge network that I can refer people to if needed. I mean, I did it with Mike the week after we recorded it. I sent someone his way, you know, for help. So I think learning is awesome. And that's for me personally, it's the best, but also a broad perspective is just the community formation and how helpful that is. Can we go back a little bit? There's one thing that strikes me, and I'm sure there's people listening to this who have a you know busy, busy, busy life, work, personal, what have you. But when reflecting back uh, 2018, it's like you added something else to your life. You're busy enough as it is. And they're like, let's take a course. I want to do this. I mean, I'm sure people are listening and going, ah, how does she have the time to do this? Like, because I'm already overwhelmed. Yeah. But it seems like you look outwards and open yourself up and you found, keep on coming back to it, the joy or something that was sustaining for you. But how did you make that first step? Because as you're describing it, your life was full. Like it was overfull. Yeah, it was overfull. And I think really that strategic planning helped it feel less overwhelming. It was probably still as full, but I was a little bit more intentional about some of the things that I was doing. So I started getting into time blocking some of my billing activities rather than like waiting to let it pile up for the entire month. So basically I created five buckets for my life. It was self-care, husband, kids, Clay Creek Equine, my business, and then volunteering. And I left the volunteering bucket alone initially. I focused on the four. I will tell you, the self-care bucket gets neglected a lot of times, except for these sort of micro practices of five-minute meditations or finding joy. I mean, I am still not on a great exercise program five days a week, right? Like that's a work in progress. But I got more intentional with my husband. We set specific dates so that we felt like we were connecting one-on-one twice a month. And that made things easier in our household. We had a budget that we stuck to and had a lot less discussions about what money was going where. So that streamlined things. I set specific goals for interactions with my kids. So it didn't feel so willy-nilly and haphazard. So while I still had the same amount of stuff, I felt at least like I was structuring my week in a way that worked for me and a way that was organized for me. So that after doing that for probably four to six months, that's when I finally felt open enough to start thinking about the volunteering bucket. And I thought about that for another six months. I started the Instagram account before the podcast just to see, hey, can I share resources? Can I share other people's podcasts? Can I share articles? Is this going to work for me? So that was a baby step. When I describe it, I hear what you're saying. When I describe it, it sounds like I went from zero to 100, but it was really small incremental changes that then led for a little more space or a little more brain power to start thinking about other things. And so I guess my recommendation would be, A, take some time to just think about like a global picture, but then B, break it down stepwise because if you do a little bit of change incrementally over six to 12 months, you'll be in a drastically different place. That's great advice. 
Yeah. And I think a great segue to my next question, uh, which is what can vets do to bring more joy to their lives? It's so individual. That's such an individual question, right? I think the biggest thing they can do is set aside 10 to 15 minutes to even think about that question. I think that's a great place to start. I think if you do that, you might spend the next two weeks as you're driving to calls or as you're driving into the clinic, rumbling on that and thinking about it even more. So I would say start with a 15 minute sort of planning session. And then in two weeks, maybe give yourself an hour and think about what has brought you joy in the past, what you've let go of because of work, because of kids, what's something you want to learn. I think you really have to do it for yourself. So it's hard for me to give people advice. You know, I've given a talk and I have a podcast episode on like seven habits of well-being and those work for me. And, you know, when I share them, I hope that it might inspire someone to try one or two of them as well. But the first habit of that, so seven habits is to pause and take some time to think because, you know, just like any plan, whether it's, you know, a treatment plan or building a house, like you have to take some time to like sit down and really think about what you want before you're going to get to an end goal for sure. Because then you're just back to what I was doing and letting your days run you and having, you know, no say in the matter and certainly no progress. I guess it's when to say no to things to take care of yourself. Yeah. Saying no is hard. We're yes people. We really are. Absolutely. You know, it's that old cliche saying, like, if you're not doing anything for yourself, how can you keep up to do things for other people? So, yeah. Boundaries. I mean, another huge topic on the podcast. Boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. (laughs) So tell the listeners how they can reach you and some of the other initiatives that you're involved with, because it sounds like you're, you're involved in a lot. Yeah, we added a couple more things since the podcast got started. A group of colleagues and friends, other equine vets, three other equine vets, and I started uh, the Sustainability in Equine Practice Seminar. That is basically a community networking and personal development seminar to help equine vets learn about things like boundaries, taking a pause. We Also, luckily, spend a lot of time just talking about the industry and ways that we can all work to improve it. And people are already starting to do that. Um, So that's been great. You can find out more about that at www.sepsseminars.com. You can connect with me on Instagram. I'm most active. I'm at The Whole Veterinarian. Uh, There's the website, which is thewholeveterinarian.com. And then, of course, the podcast. And email me. I'm super accessible. So. Yeah, I would love to connect if you have any further questions. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure uh, being on the other side of the mic with you and uh, hearing your story. It's, I have, I'm loving it because you, you know, it was a, a low point and you've turned it into something so positive. And I hope that's inspirational for a lot of other vets. So, I hope so too. Yeah, my story is not unique. Anyone has suffered in the same ways and anyone can certainly improve their lives. So thank you so much for having me. It's been fun chatting. So, Katie, every uh, episode we ask for listener questions. There may be things going on in their practice that uh, maybe we can offer some insights on. So we have one, and I will read the question because this is right up your alley. So I love how they started. When is it you and when is it them? Question mark. So they are a 10-year-old practice started by a solo vet. They hired the first first associate about three years in. 
lasted a year until the associate had an epiphany that she never really wanted to be in clinical practice and left to pursue a career in education. Second associate was hired, still there, amazing, everything, great success. They hired another associate in 2020, just after the pandemic started. Slow start due to the pandemic, but really got into the swing of things. That person had already been in practice for a number of years, and their specialties fit the practice perfectly, although there were a few stumbling blocks with certain procedures that the owner of the practice and the other associate offered help with, guidance. Unfortunately, this newer vet began to dig their heels in, stopped communicating, is now leaving the practice, complaining to the techs about how they never wanted any of this. So they're going to be looking for a third vet in the coming months, but they're very apprehensive. How do we navigate the hiring process? Is this normal growing pains? And she says, I think we as a practice and individually did everything in our power to make this a successful fit. This person is the practice manager and has been there since the beginning. This is not an uncommon story, Katie, is it? No, definitely not, listener. Thanks for sending this one in. I think this is extremely common. Uh, So, you know, to answer your first question of how to navigate hiring that new person, I think some real basic things to think about are making sure that expectations for this person uh, are clear from the start. So, you know, not just uh, what they're going to be doing specifically from the vet skill side, but you know, make sure they understand the core values of the practice, make sure they understand how the people in the practice interact, um, you know, how they're going to be supported and expectations around improvement. And I think a part of that also is the vet skills list. You know, if you don't have one already, get really granular about what it is that this person is expected to do and show it to them and be very, very open ask how, if they're open to learning or mentorship, even if they're experienced. You know, you talked about this person who had been in practice for 10 years, had a specialty, didn't seem to want to sort of pop out of that specialty, but make sure that you find somebody, if that's what you need, make sure you, that person is going to be open to that mentorship or open to that learning. I think during the hiring process, really important to check references as much as possible. If you can see it, if you can find perhaps uh, past employers or references that they haven't necessarily listed, uh, just to get uh, more opinions. Has this person had an internship? Uh, you know, if it's a newer veterinarian that's coming on, is that is that something that's going to be important to you? You know, perhaps if you hire somebody who's been into an inter- internship as a new vet, uh, you know, they've learned a few of those skills. So, and they've sort of, they have already know what the, practice is going to be like. So in the in the case of your the first associate that left and decided she didn't want to be a vet or they didn't want to be a vet, you know, or at least a practicing vet, had they gone through an internship, maybe this is something they would have figured out before they made it to you if they had. I think a huge one and one that's really tough right now is uh, to take your time. You know, we always say to avoid desperation hires, make sure you're hiring slowly. You know, you've had a couple of poor fits, uh, you know, I think through no fault of your own probably, uh, but make sure you're taking the time to hire that exact right person that checks all your boxes. And if they don't check all the boxes, are you willing to live with the boxes they don't check? Really uh, nitty gritty stuff. Make sure you're doing a working interview. How do they get along with the team? Is what you see when they show up the same thing that you see when you were um, doing the initial interview process? Put them in a social situation with your staff. 
put them in a situation with clients if possible, just to see all angles of this person. And then I think uh, a huge thing once somebody started is making sure you have frequent check-ins, you know, not just on the vet skills list side of things, but also on the soft skills side of things, you know, ask them straight out, is this what you expected? If it isn't, what can we do to change? I think, uh, you know, so often, you know, when we don't, uh, there's this concept of a designed alliance where you are making sure that both parties come to an agreement, it's a mutual agreement about what expectations are when you're sort of getting into a relationship, no matter what kind of relationship it is, you know, make sure that you do that right from the beginning. So the person understands what's going to be expected and you understand what they need right from the beginning. Your question, is this normal growing pains? I mean, I think yes. Uh, Unfortunately, I would say so. Yeah. yeah, uh, You know, the person who decided to leave uh, practice, it's a personal decision. I mean, you know, maybe they didn't know what the realities were. If they did do an internship, perhaps they they don't know. They weren't expecting what actually happened. Um, you know, and the gal who dug in her heels or the person who dug in their heels, um, you know, did they know how much support would be offered? Uh, were they honest about their skills that needed to be upgraded? Uh, or if the skills that were outside of her specialties, did, she, did they know that there was an expectation that she'd need to use those skills in the practice? Yeah, or maybe they thought it would be fine. And then a 10 year practitioner, they're like, actually, I don't want to learn this stuff. I think there are certain things, certain questions that you could ask and they could even answer one way. And then six months later, it's a different story. So I wouldn't be too hard on yourselves. It's really incredibly difficult market right now. And finding the right fit might take a couple of misses. Uh, But I'd say if you focus on the prep and focus on making sure that you know exactly what you want and that the person knows exactly what you want that you might hire, then you might have more success. Yeah, great advice. I, I like the advice of of hire slow. It's such a temptation. Just uh, we need to fill a body, and so let's yeah. just hire. But that's that's where problems happen. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So, if anybody has a question, anything related to human resources in your practice, leadership, just anything that uh, is challenging you, just reach out to us info at oculusinsights.net, uh, or any of our social platforms. Yeah, so uh, we look forward to the next question. And Katie, thank you for a great episode. And uh, we'll uh, talk to everybody soon. Thanks, Mike. Bye. See ya. Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus. You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and our website, oculusinsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next time.